Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. In the course of writing this sermon, I realized this morning at about 9.55 that what I'm trying to accomplish to say in this, I did not say. Because... What I'm trying to do is talk about sanctification, and I can't do it in 10 minutes. I tried, and I failed miserably. At least I feel that way. I'm probably my harshest critic here. So if this doesn't make sense today, if this weighs heavy on your heart what I'm going to say, I want you to come and talk to me about it because the concept of sanctification deserves more than just a 10-minute sermon, especially a sermon that I don't feel does that. So... Just have that as a caveat on the back of your mind that I just don't feel like I got to the place where I want to be. But, um, so let's have a conversation. As I was thinking about this text, this really great text, as Matt pointed out, we would probably all walking around without any limbs and with eyes plucked out if we really truly followed this. I was thinking about uh, this professor from seminary. He, he was a legend from Gettysburg Seminary, I can't remember his name, but he would he was a preaching professor, I think, or a Bible professor, something. He would sit in the class with seminarians when they were preaching, and from time to time when he was listening to seminarians, he would do this. It was a little annoying, and finally one day a seminarian was bold enough to ask him, Professor, what are you doing? He said, I'm drowning in the law here, so I thought I saved my watch from the water. It's so easy to talk about what we should do instead of what talking about what God has done for us. I have preached many of these sermons, especially as I sometimes go back and look at what I said from seven years ago, even from my time in seminary, which is even more terrifying that I actually passed seminary writing that stuff. I, I think about that professor would have been really holding his arm up during those moments. It's so easy to talk about the law. It's so easy to talk about what we should be doing because we can measure our work. We can measure our participation. We can measure our commitment. There's all sorts of ways we do that on a day-to-day basis in church. But you can't measure God. You can't at all. It's hard to measure God. Demanding that a congregation do something for some group of people and very rarely mentioning anything about God or Jesus' work on the cross, I am so guilty of doing that. Because it's so easy. I think we're all very much guilty of that, doing that. And I probably still do this from time to time because it is so easy. It's a trap of sorts. I know a lot of people who think the markings of a successful church are that with lots and lots of social justice ministries, lots of building campaigns. There are pastors out there who believe the only way that you can be a successful pastor is if you're tearing down buildings and rebuilding them like every five or six years. There's also lots that say the successful church is one that has lots of programs, lots of things for people to do, lots of things for kids, for families, for older people. They want to see the... The church activity calendar filled each night of the week with things to do. People want to see their pastors acting as community activists while at the same time doing all the things that pastors are required to do. 
Even, our, even the ELCA is guilty of this. I just filled out my parochial reports to the ELCA and not one single question on there asked me about how I was visiting shut-ins, how many shut-ins we have, what I was teaching this past year, what I've taught. They weren't asking me about any of my preaching, what commentaries I'm using, what um, con ed I went to. They're not asking how I'm doing administering the sacraments, how often we're celebrating. These are all constitutional obligations of a pastor. These are, my, these are the jobs in my job description, but the ELCA was not concerned about any of those things. Nothing. They want to know what community engagement programs I or we have led this past year in regards to education and conversation around issues impacting communities. Whether we sent letters or made phone calls to elected decision makers or if we have held a voter registration drive or participate in any regional or national advocacy network. You know, even the, the larger churches caught up in this craze are constantly feeling the need to do more while neglecting the chief functions of the church, that is, preaching the gospel, administering the sacraments, and gathering the community together. The more we raise our expectations of congregations to do, the more we're going to be disappointed because we can't be all the things that the world expects us to be. Does any, do any of you all feel disappointed by St. John's or by me? Do you feel like I'm not doing enough to bring more members to the church? I'm not doing enough to support your faith that this congregation is quote-unquote going to hell in a handbasket because of my leadership or because of council leadership or because we do not resemble what we used to be? Do you longingly look at other churches and say, man, I wish St. John's could be like them. Do you feel the need to, be, to do more things, to be more things to people than we have ever been before? And we're so concerned about saving the world, about being like everyone else, that we forget that this world has already been saved by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is calling us to live differently from everyone else. And that's a big part of what the Sermon on the Mount is about, living differently. The law is easy to preach because the law gives us the power. It gives us the control. The gospel, though, that's what we need to hear because it tells us the truth. We need to hear that Jesus' preaching is not characterized by easy aphorisms, but, excuse me, but by a faithful recalling of and reinvestment in ancient trustworthy tradition. That such a tradition is trustworthy to Jesus precisely because these commandments that he talks about throughout the Sermon on the Mount, especially in today's Gospel, are voiced by God. I think so often we are searching up and down for the next best thing to radically change our congregation to be someone else that we completely miss the radical change from the ordinary that Jesus is proposing in this sermon. He's not calling us to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but rather to embrace centuries of traditions rooted in the prophet's words and of God's word. Jesus identifies the law as trustworthy and true, Jesus even quotes the law. But, but Pastor, you just spent two pages of your sermon talking about how the law is bad, right? What, what is it? Well, it's complicated. But what we do know is that faithful people look to the law for guidance. They look at the Ten Commandments as a model for how to live. And they also realize when they try to keep these commandments, faithful people fall short every time. This is why Martin Luther included the Ten Commandments in the small catechism and expected people to know them. Luther says in each one of his explanations, we are to fear and love God. How do faithful people act? We fear and love God. 
What does faith in God look like? The fearing and the fear and love of God. The commandments are not just, just rules, mere busy work from God, but they're, they're more about faith. Jesus in this sermon is calling his followers to not replace the commandments, but to intensify them. Jesus here calls his listeners to not avoid these calls for righteousness, but to dig that much more into them. To align our lives that much more with the abiding divine values these commandments communicate. To commit ourselves to transform the power of God's law and commandments. And Luther does this in, in, in the small catechism in his explanation of each commandment. For example, in the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, Luther takes it beyond just respect for one's parents but puts his respect for all in authority. He writes, We are to fear and love God so that we neither despise nor anger our parents and others in authority, but instead honor, serve, love, obey, and respect them. The commandment is not just about parents, but all those in authority. One the fifth commandment, You shall not murder. Luther says, We are to fear and love God so that we neither endanger nor harm the lives of our neighbors, but instead help and support them in all life's needs. Most people can say that they've never murdered anybody. But none of us can say that we have never helped, that we have always helped people and supported the life needs of those around us. None of us can attest to that. That's how Luther intensifies the commandments. And remember, I said Jesus is seeking for us to intensify our belief. The next step then for Jesus in this intensification process is that we must be willing to seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. Reconciliation is a prerequisite for coming before God at the altar. That is, broken relationships among neighbors, family, and friends are not just social obstacles among us, but a barometer for our relationship to God too. It is why before we come before a whole the altar for Holy Communion, that we say to one another, peace be with you. This time of sharing the peace has power. And it's more than just half time in church. It's more than just going around and catching up with your neighbors. We are going to make peace with one another. For if we do not, we could have dire results for our neighbors and for ourselves. You all know I don't like hugs. I barely like shaking hands most days. Sharing the peace is one of the most dreadful parts of the liturgy for me. Yet I fight every time in council, and council members can attest to this, to keep it in the liturgy. When it comes up like, Pastor, we should just get rid of it. It's too, it takes up too much time. It's too, it's too this and that. I fight for it. Because of our Lord's words here in Matthew 5. It is vital that we live differently. It's vital for us to intensify the power of the law. For when we intensify the law, we're going to see that we have a really hard time keeping the commandments. And therefore, we're going to need lots and lots of forgiveness. And sharing the peace with one another helps in that reconciliation process. Reconciliation is itself a way to draw nearer to God who calls us to righteousness. A community that forgives its members resembles how God interacts with humanity. We see God in that moment. So what kind of reconciliation is Jesus extorting in our midst today? Jesus, through the Sermon on the Mount, is trying to construct a particular kind of community, one organized around love and not power, a community that centers on deep commitments to God's children to make one, commitments God's children make to one another. Such trust, such 
commitment is not born of human will, but of God's gift. It's reflected in the throne of God, and God's footstool, and the, the city of the great king. Indeed, Jesus implies only God can make one hair white or black. Only God's call can make such belonging possible. So in the end, what are these commandments then calling us to do? Calling us to be? They're not merely a checklist of morality, but to a flourishing of life. They're not merely a baseline of decency, but an embodiment, relational, transformative encounter with all who we meet. They're not just a sufficient scent of hurdles for righteousness, but a path of wholeness with creature and creator alike. Jesus makes these calls not over and against the traditions of Israel, not in upturning the law and prophets, but precisely in reveling in the witness to God's righteousness, to God's faithfulness to the people preserved therein. All these years later, Sitting in that preaching class at Gettysburg Seminary, I find myself demanding my listeners, demanding you all to do something once again. But this time, I'm, I'm not going to do what I've always done. I'm not demand that we strive to be every. I'm not going to demand that we strive to be everything to everyone. That we be a social justice organization with sacraments. That we forget the second the use of the law. Rather, I'm. I'm going to demand that we strive to live differently. By intensifying our prayer for God to send us the Holy Spirit to make this reality that Jesus is imagining here in the Sermon on the Mount, to make that our new reality.